Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're here in your place today, this building that you've built for us uh, with the brothers and sisters in Christ, the body of Christ that you've built for yourself. We ask you, Lord, to continue your work in our hearts. We've worshiped you this morning for your glory, for your majesty. We've given offerings to you for your glory and for your honor to use for your kingdom. God, we ask that you would take the word of God that you've given to us and pour down like rain, washing our eyes to see your majesty. As we open the word of God, we look into your truth and we desire to submit to it. We desire to be transformed by the renewing of our minds when we dive in We ask You by the power of Your Holy Spirit that You would transform our hearts and You would continue to mold us and shape us into Your image to reflect Your glory, to be the light of this world and the salt of this earth. Lord, I pray that You would give us the grace to know Your grace and Your mercy on a daily basis. It's Mother's Day and we celebrate and we thank you, God, for the gift that you've given to us in our lives through the mothers that have invested in us and sacrificed for us. We praise you for the way you've demonstrated yourself to us through them. The way you've shown us your provision, your love, your care, and your mercy. God, I pray that we would continue to extend that to our children, our children's children, pass it down from generation to generation. I pray that your name would be glorified. I pray that you take the reading of this word this morning and use it for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite you to open to Exodus chapter 16. We'll be there this morning and take a look into uh, the life of Israel and uh, what God has to share to us through them. Happy Mother's Day. It's a blessing to be here. Please be in prayer for Pastor Adam and uh, uh, Pastor Randy and several others. They are in Asia, doing the work of God, we ask you to pray for them. I've heard good reports so far. God's protected them and uh, led them in their work. They've had the privilege of sharing the gospel of Christ uh, in a very dark part of the world, a uh, part of the world that uh, consists of very few, very few believers in Jesus Christ and uh, a lot of spiritual oppression, and they've stepped out to encourage the brothers in Christ that are there to equip them with the gospel, to share the word of God with them, and to see how we might be partners with them. So please pray that God would continue his work through them and bring them home safely, uh, because I love filling the pulpit, and I love preaching the word of God, but I know that Pastor Adam has this calling here, and uh, I'm not ready to take his place yet. So pray that he will have, he will have a safe return to us. 
Um, Exodus chapter 16, I'd like to share with you a few words um, about the leadership of God in our lives. This is Mother's Day, and uh, it's a day for us to celebrate the moms in our lives, uh, the grandmothers in our lives, and, and uh, to thank God for uh, their role in us. This, this can be, as with any holiday, uh, a wonderful celebration day, but it can also be a day for some that's extremely difficult. Uh, it can be a day that, that can be really hard because of numerous reasons. Uh, some, some have had a difficulty with the, the whole role of motherhood. Uh, some have children, and, and, and that was just a very tough season of life. Some have rejoiced through that season. Uh, some have uh, suffered loss in that. Uh, and it can be a very difficult time. And uh, that's why I'm very encouraged by the fact that we serve a God who has sent His Son Christ to us, who is called Emmanuel, God with us, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, who leads us through the greatest of times and the darkest of times. My prayer for you this morning as we celebrate Mother's Day is that you will also celebrate our Savior Jesus Christ who is dwelling with us and leading us through this time. And moms, we thank you for your sacrifices. Um, I know that uh, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the moms in my life and the grandmothers in my life and those who aren't biologically my moms and grandmothers but have played a role in mothering me and uh, being there for me, and providing wisdom and counsel for me, and so I'm grateful for them. And uh, many times your sacrifices go unnoticed or unthanked, and so this is a day for us to stop and thank you for all that you've invested. I can think of several things as a dad. I look at my own family and the investment that my wife makes for our family and in our kids. There are three questions that we hear all the time from our kids. One question that we hear on a regular basis is, what are we going to eat? What's for dinner? What's for lunch? Can I have a snack? Can I have some food? And if we left it up to them, they would empty, they would pillage our cabinets and eat every uh, thing that is wrapped in plastic or boxed. Um, And then when we came time for dinner, lunch, uh, supper, and, and Leanne had prepared for hours, to uh, put green things on the plate and uh, healthy foods on the plate and dairy products on the plate and healthy meats on the plate. And we lay it out. She lays it out there in front of them. The kids would say, why? Why did you put this on the plate? We hear, what are we going to eat? And uh, another question I hear, uh, even from my five, three, and two-year-old, is going to have some money. Uh, and uh, I think that's a question we hear on a regular basis, you know. Um, I'm doing my best to instill in my children, you know, I want them to do their chores because their daddy told them to do their chores, not because they're going to get something out of it, but every once in a while it does provide a stress relief for me to just say, look, I'll pay you if you'll just (laughs) pick up the pine cones in the yard so I don't have to mow over the top of them. And and so quarters, nickels, and dimes go a long way for the little ones because they like how heavy it feels and that they can carry it around and hear it jingle. Um, and, uh, so can I have some money? And then the, the number one question we hear on a regular basis is why, uh, we hear that all the time. Why this? Why that? Why did you put this food on my plate? Why do I have to do my chores? Why do we have to go to bed right now? Uh, why are you punishing me right now? And, uh, so, um, we hear this question on a regular basis and I think, uh, our God 
Being our Heavenly Father hears a plethora of questions from us on a regular basis. We have an unending list of questions that we bring before our God, and many of them probably sound just as silly to God. Uh, There's two questions I can think of that are really, really big questions we like to ask on on a regular basis. God, where are you leading me? And God, how are you going to lead me in this process? We want to know about the will of God. God, what is your will for my life? What do you want for me? What are you trying to do to me right now? And we look at our circumstances and we question God. We say, God, why are these things happening to us? We look at the food on our plates and we say, God, why do I not have better food? For my plates, um, or how can what we look at our responsibilities and our stress load and the anxieties and the worries and the fears that we face, and then with those come a whole multitude of questions. But one thing that we really want to know from God is where are you leading me, and how are you going to do that? And I think in the book of Exodus, when I look at the people of God and the way God dealt with them and the way God led them, we see a very clear example of where God's leading them and where He's leading us. Through these people, and uh, so I'd like to dive in and take a look at that, and see what it is that God would have to say to us through this. So, where is God leading me? I look at the people of Exodus in this particular story, starting in chapter sixteen. We see uh, this picks up in the wilderness after the people have been set free from captivity. If you go back and read the Old Testament and you read the story of the Israelite people. It's really good to just go ahead and back all the way up to Genesis and and start with Abraham and just see the story of of his children and his boys um, and uh, and then look at Joseph and uh, his 11 brothers and what was going on in that story and how he was sold into slavery and sent uh, and purchased and and uh, God placed him in Egypt because God knew the great plan that he had for this people and then as a result there was famine in the land and all of Joseph's family came to Egypt to receive food and they were well taken care of but then Joseph died and the leader of Egypt died and they didn't remember Joseph in the story and the, they didn't respect the God of the Israelite people and they began to multiply and they began to multiply and as you know the story the leadership in Egypt became very terrified of the Israelite people because they were becoming so strong and so big so they oppressed them they made them slaves they took the 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 young boys and they they murdered them and cast them into the river to keep them from multiplying and uh, God heard the cries of the people of Israel and uh, one of those young boys was spared put in a basket and sent down the river and as you know the story was rescued and grew up in the palace his name was Moses and, uh, and then the Lord led him out into the desert where he met a burning bush uh, that was the presence of God speaking him to, calling him out, saying, I'm going to send you to Egypt to rescue my people. I've heard their cries. You're going to go back and be their savior, so to speak. And, and we look at the story of Moses and you see that Moses is a very vivid illustration of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ who came to set us free from the slavery in our own lives, in the sin in our own lives. So Moses goes in, you know the story, and uh, he tells the Pharaoh to let the people go, and the Pharaoh refuses, and then the ten plagues take place in Egypt, and God finally gets the Pharaoh to let the people go. They go out in the desert. God leads the people by a pillar of smoke, uh, 
by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at nighttime. And then they come up against the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is come behind them and they're going to slaughter them in the desert. The people are panicking and God parts the Red Sea and miraculously allows the people to walk across on dry ground and then crushes the Egyptian army underneath the weight of the waters. The people see all of this. The Israelite people have felt in bondage and in slavery and abandoned by God for years and years and years. And now they're seeing in living color the hand of God very clearly, very visually illustrated in front of them. They're seeing the leadership of God in their life in an undeniable way when they see that God punished the Egyptian people but spared the Israelite people. When the firstborn of the Egyptian Uh, families died and then the Israelite people were spared when they took the blood of the lamb and painted it on their doorposts. An illustration of the salvation of the blood of Jesus Christ painted on our hearts. And they saw the hand of God lead them by fire at night and cloud by day. And they saw the hand of God part the waters. And they saw the hand of God crush their enemies. Undeniable that God was there for them. Two and a half months in the desert the people begin to grumble and complain against this God. And so many times, I think, as, as parents, as moms and dads, we, we, hear our, we see our children, they see our hands very vividly providing for them. We pr- put food on their plates. We put clothes on their back. We protect them from dangers. We try to train them and lead them and help them to learn and grow. We try to mold them and shape them because we can see the big picture To some degree, we've been where they were. We've had experiences in life and through the wisdom that God's given to us, through the leadership God's given to us, we try to impart that to our kids. But in many cases, our kids don't understand fully. And so they grumble and they complain. That's why we put healthy vegetables on the plate. And one of the first words out of their mouth is, why? And our kids complain and we complain. I don't think it's limited to just our kids because this this is not something that's limited to the 21st century, grumbling and complaining. This is something that's been going on for hundreds of years. It's part of our nature. It's part of who we are. It's part of the sin nature that we're all born into. The selfishness that we have at heart. And it doesn't, it's not just limited to our childhood either. Because even as adults, we grumble and complain. We just may not grumble and complain to mom and dad anymore. We might grumble and complain to husband and wife. Maybe even straight to God. But here it is, this is, I, what I see in this story is a picture of how God reveals that, yes, your mothers and your fathers, they provide for you. They put food on your plate, they put clothes on your back, they protect you, they save you from dangers in life, but ultimately I am your provider, I am your savior, and I am your God, and I would love for you to come to a place in your life where you surrender to me and admit that I am your personal God, I am your savior, And I am your provider. Let's look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died in the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? So you see the picture here. The people of God were set out and they grumbled and they complained against God. And these people had been grumbling and complaining against God. And you see, if you were to jump over to chapter 17 and, uh, and continue reading on through the word of God, you see that this is not the last time that these people grumble and complain against God. But one thing that God reveals very clearly is that he's brought them to this place where they were going to have to admit that he was their provider, he was their savior, and he was their God. You see, God could have provided for them in any number of ways. He could have very richly provided for them in the desert. He had already destroyed their enemies. He parted the Red Sea. He'd proven that he could do anything. And here they are practically starving to death in the desert. And they're saying, God, why have you done this to us? What are you doing? I don't... Get it. We should have just stayed in Egypt and died there rather than starve to death in the desert. But God was very intentionally bringing them to the place where he could say, I want to take care of you one day at a time. You have no choice but to trust that I'm your Savior, I'm your provider, I'm your God. You've heard that scripture in the Word of God that says some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I trust in the name of the Lord my God. You've heard that? You know, we can translate that into the word, uh, you know, we trust in our houses, we trust in our insurances, but we should trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in all the securities that we build up around ourselves, but we should be trusting in the name of the Lord our God. We have to get to a place where those things are great, but they're not what really creates our security. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. You'll see in verse 6, It says that you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. God was the one that set them free from slavery. We've got to get to the point where we believe and where we realize that God is the one that set me free from my own personal sin. When I look at my children, I I feel like I have a great responsibility to communicate to them that it's God who's putting the food on their plates. It's God who's putting the clothes on their backs. And it's God who is saving them from their sins, not mom and dad. Even though it's great when my child comes to me and says, thank you, daddy, you're the best daddy in the whole wide world. And I just, I want to stop and freeze that moment and save it and play it a million times over and over again. Because I know the harsh reality that when my boys and my daughter becomes a teenager, those, those words may become less frequent. So, um, and and I'm, I'm begging to God for wisdom so that I can find a way to preserve that, that mindset in my child so that I will still hear those when they're teenagers. I don't know that I'll receive that wisdom, but we'll see. But my desire is to instill in my children. And even as a five, three, and two-year-old, I'm looking for ways to do that. And one thing that was really awesome to me, when my daughter was about three years old, uh, she said something that was really amazing because we were, were having to discipline her. Uh, consequences. You know, when she does something wrong, she gets consequences. And uh, um, that's a heavy thing for me. I, I sometimes, many times at nighttime, after I've had to discipline my children, I go to bed at night and I, and I pray and I pray to God that he will be 
gracious to me and merciful to me, that he will, with, he will stay his hand of punishment that I deserve. And sometimes that's a really hard thing to pray after I've had to drop the hammer on my son or my daughter because they, you know, they disobeyed my instructions. And uh, that's a heavy weight for me because I want my kids to understand justice, but I also want them to understand mercy and grace because that's how God is for me. And uh, that's a tough thing. But my daughter, she came to me, and, and we were, she was laying in bed. I was putting her to bed at night, and she, she said, Daddy, I'm just so tired of getting in trouble, just so tired of messing up, of making mistakes. I just can't, I can't be good. And it was really interesting. And in I, I know I didn't read these words to her, and I'm pretty sure they didn't preach it to her in Sunday school. But she said, Daddy, I just... The things I don't want to do, I just do them all the time. And the things that I know I'm supposed to do, I never do. And I just thought, you know that, I told her, I said, you know, that's really interesting you said that. There was a guy in the Bible, his name was Paul, and he said those exact words. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing all the time. And that's the nature that we live in. And this is a perfect opportunity for me to say... You know, Ivory, that's why we need Christ to be our Savior. That's why we need Christ to be our God. And, um, you know, my boys, I don't know, they, they're not quite there yet. But, uh, <laughs> but they, uh, you know, my desire is to see my children believe that God is their provider, God is their Savior, and ultimately that they will call out to Him to be their God. That they won't just see him as my God. They won't just see him as the church's God, but they will see him as their own personal God. And this is a big challenge for me. This is something that I want my kids to see. And in verse 7, it says, And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumbling against the Lord. In the morning they were going to wake up and they were going to see food on the ground and recognize that the glory of the Lord provided for them. And then if you were to jump down to uh, verse 12, it says, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So these are the things that I want to see my kids get, and these are the things that I need to get on a daily basis. So that's where I know God is leading me. I want to know the details. I want to know, God, what do you want? What's my future going to look like? You know, what about my finances? What about my kids' future? What about their college? How am I going to do this? How am I going to make this happen? What about all these things that need to be taken care of with my house? It's falling apart. You know, and I'm trying to beg God for wisdom and understanding about the circumstances of life. And God is saying, listen, first of all, I need you to trust that I'm your Savior, I'm your provider, and I'm your God. That's where I'm leading you through life. I may not straighten out all of the details for you. In fact, some of that's going to be difficult from now until you die because as long as you're in that position, you'll have to rely on me to be your Savior and your provider and your God. So I know that's where God's leading me, but then I have to ask, how is he leading me? And if you go on and you read this story, you see that in uh, verse 3, it says, the sons of Israel said to him, would that we had died in the Lord's hands in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. In chapter 14, verse 11, you see that they complained there as well. They said to Moses, 
Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Listen to the sarcasm coming from the people. Were there, were there not enough places in Egypt to bury the dead Israelites that you had to take us out in the desert to kill us all? How many times do we hear sarcastic remarks from our kids similar to that? My daughter's only five, but I've heard my fill of them at this point. But in chapter 17, verse 3, you can see it as well. Why do you test the Lord? The people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children? The circumstances God was using to lead these people. And the problem is we grumble about them rather than looking to God and seeing him as our God. I think uh, there's one phrase that my children hear on a regular basis in our home. They might hear us say things like, you get what you get, you don't throw a fit. And uh, I don't think it does any good, but they hear it on a regular basis. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. And I think sometimes God probably wishes he could just look at us and say, look, you get what you get, you don't throw a fit. I'm giving you manna. Be grateful for it. I'll take care of you tomorrow. Trust me. Today has enough trouble of its own. I think he said something like that in Matthew chapter 7. Another way that God leads me, God leads me through my circumstances, but I grumble and I complain, but God also leads me through godly people, and I struggle to listen. In verse 13, it says, It came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. If you jump to verse 31, he describes it better. The house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white and its taste was like wafers with honey. The only thing I could find in the grocery store that looks, that has, that resembles this in any way would be something like a graham cracker. It's kind of a flat wafer with a little bit of honey on it. Uh, it tastes okay once. I don't think I could live on it every day for 40 years, which is what these people lived on. So this is what was growing. It was popping up on the ground every morning. Verse 15, when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And, the Mos- and Moses was very angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But the sun grew hot, and it would melt. So he said, your job, your responsibility, God has directed me to share with you the instructions on how you're supposed to live your day today. And so he said, you're supposed to go out in the morning and pick up enough of the manna to provide for you and your household for that one day. But don't take extra because it will spoil if you take extra. That's my instructions. You need to make sure you get this done by the end of the day. All right, we said something like that to our kids. We give them their instructions. But the problem is we don't listen. And they didn't listen. And so they gathered too much. They, got, they decided not to trust that God was telling the truth when he said, I will provide this for you again the next day. And so they took enough for today and the next day and maybe the day after that. But the problem was when they got up the next morning, it was rotten and full of worms because they disobeyed God. And we see examples of this where God tells us, listen, we're supposed to listen to the godly people that he places in our lives 
our children are given the parents to be the umbrella of protection, to be the godly wisdom that we pour into our kids because God gives us instructions to pour into them to help lead them. We have been given role models in our lives. We've been given godly brothers and sisters in Christ, our pastoral council, the leadership from our Sunday school classes and from the grandfathers and grandmothers that have gone on before us that are pouring down their wisdom to us that comes from God. And the problem is, is that we all, even today as adults, grown adults, we struggle to listen to the instruction that comes to us from the wise counsel that God's given to us. So God's trying to lead me to trust that he's my savior, my provider, and my God, not only through my circumstances, but also through the godly counsel in my life. But the problem is I don't always listen to them and I have to deal with the consequences. I think about the example of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus was telling the story of the two men that died and the rich man went to hell and he uh, cried out and said, will you please send somebody to go to my brothers and tell them not to come here? And they said, no, we won't because we've already sent them the prophets and they refused to listen. God has sent people to us to speak truth into our lives. And a lot of times we go to God and we say, God, give me a word. Give me wisdom. Give me instruction. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And God says, no, I've already told you what you're supposed to do. A lot of times our kids come to us and they say, Dad, can we do this? Dad, can we do that? Mom, can we do this? Mom, can we do that? We say, no, I've already told you what you need to be doing right now. You need to get that done, then come to me. And I think sometimes we... we jump the gun and we ignore the things that we know God's asked us to do or advised us to do from our wise counsel just because we don't really want to hear it. And that's a big struggle. So God leads us through godly people. He also leads us through his, his commands directly from the word of God. It comes through our godly counsel, but it also comes straight from God. If you listen to verse 22, it says, The sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it, which is a miracle because all the other days it did. Verse 25, Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. God had already told them to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. That is something that had been passed down for years and years and years up to this point. And God said, listen, when it comes to this food, you'll get twice as much on Saturday or on Friday. Because on Saturday, the Sabbath day, then you are not to go out and pick any up. There won't be any on the ground. But the problem is, in the same case as before, they did not listen to God and they refused to obey. They only, this time for some reason, they only took enough for one day. And so they went out on Saturday morning to try to get some manna that was on the ground. But they found none because God told them specifically, I don't want you out there trying to pick up manna on Saturday, and uh, we refuse to obey. And if you keep reading, you see what happens in verse um, in verse 24. It says, so they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was, the, nor was there any worm in it. Jump down to verse 27. It came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions. And I, that is a question that I think all of us probably have heard in our heart at least once. How long do you refuse to listen to my commandments and my instructions? And I think we have been given 
enough instruction in the Word of God to give us wisdom and guidance for the rest of our lives. That's enough to process. This, there's more here than I can process in a lifetime, and I'm constantly begging God, will you tell me what I'm supposed to do? Will you help me know what I'm supposed to do right now? And God is saying, you need to pick up the Word of God and do what I've already told you to do. And I've already given you wise counsel from your godly leaders, and you need to abide by the, that wise counsel and listen to them. So God leads me through my circumstances, godly people in my lives, the commands from the word of God, and he also uses the monumental moments in my life to lead me. In verse 31, the house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, it tasted like wafers and honey. Verse 32, then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded, let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness. When I brought you out of the land of Egypt... Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The sons of Israel ate and the manna, ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now, God told them to take a, a little bit of that manna and put it in a jar and keep it for all the generations to come as a reminder that God is your Savior, God is your provider, and He is your Lord. God is the one that's taking care of us. God has taken care of us for year after year after year, generation after generation after generation. This was meant to be a monumental moment that we take our kids back. We see monumental moments in our lives all the time. We go back and we think about the monumental moments that we have come through, maybe graduation, it might be getting married. That's a monumental moment. We remember the wedding vows that we took and on, on our anniversary, we kind of like to go back to that point and remind ourselves of the commitments that we've made to our spouses. Or we, we remember the days that our children were born and that monumental feeling that we had, the joy with our kids. That's what keeps us from hurting them later on in life. And so these monumental moments lead us through life. Things like baptism that reminds us of that place that we were at when we first gave our lives to Jesus Christ. Things like um, things like retreats where we go off and we lay things in our lives down at the altar and let them go and we ask the Lord to fill us and we meet God there and God does a major work in our lives. These are monumental moments that are meant to not be forgotten because we do stray. We are the kind of people who stray and sometimes we belittle the monumental moments because we stray. We say, well, I was on this mountaintop experience. I had this great experience with God, but it must not have meant a whole lot because it didn't last. And I'm not sure they're all meant to last. I'm not sure that all those, we're not supposed to be like that all the time because I think that God puts those things in our lives as reminders because we stray and we struggle through life. And God says, don't forget where you've been. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget what I've done. And that's what brings us back on track later in life. That's why when the people of Israel came through the Jordan River, he had them pick up rocks and make a pile of rocks on the side of the river because he specifically told them, he said, listen, you remember what I did for you today when I split the Jordan River and had you walk into the promised land. This was a big day for you and your people, but your sons and your grandsons will not remember this day. They were not here. And I want you to take your sons and I want you to take your grandsons down to the river and I want you to show them this pile of rocks and I want you to remind them what I did for you in the monumental moments in your life where I proved to you that I am God, that I'm the provider, and that I'm the Savior. And I think there's monumental moments in, in our lives that we need to be passing down to the generation's behind us because these are things that we can use to show our children and our grandchildren this is the God 
that we serve and the God that we worship. And they're also monumental moments that are meant to keep us on track on a daily basis. So these are some things that God uses to lead us and to direct us through life. And those moments today may be a monumental moment for somebody. Maybe your monumental moment with the Lord is coming up. I think there's probably some people in the room that don't know Jesus yet. And you're wrestling with what it means to be saved and what it means to know God. And my prayer for you is that at some point you will surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you will realize that he's the one that is the provider. He's the one that can save your life. He's the one that can be your God. And you will surrender your life to him. And that will be a monumental moment that no one can take away from you because it's a relationship with Jesus that that is sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Our relationship with Christ is something that I desire to pass down to my kids. It's something that I find to be, um, I find to be a challenge to pass it down to my children. I get caught up in the day-to-day and I get caught up in the practical things of life and I get ta- caught up in just putting food on their plate, putting food on the, uh, clothes on their back and uh, leading them through life and sometimes I forget to look for the opportunities to convey to them that it's God who's giving them all of this. It's God who's taking them through all of this. So that's a challenge for me is to help lead them to that point. But I think that sometimes we get caught up too in realizing and thinking that leadership is... You know, especially around Mother's Day, we think that, you know, mothers feel an incredible burden because a lot of times they're the ones at home with the kids. They're the ones that don't get a break. They're the ones that have to deal with the the whiny children and the complaining and the grumbling and the dirty house and the dirty clothes. And they struggle with these things. And, And the men, we may or may not be trying to help our women through this. And a lot of times I think the burden just gets to be too much. And can be extremely difficult. And the great thing is, I think maybe we can take the burden off your shoulders. Because in reality, it's not all about mom. And it's not all about dad. It's all about God. He's the one we put on the pedestal. He's the one we look to as our Savior and our provider and our God. And the great thing is, moms, the leadership that God desires to direct through the mother is not complete without the leadership of the Father alongside. The leadership that God desires to reveal to us about Him is complete when the mother and the Father are leading together. The leadership that God desires to reveal to us is complete when the body of Christ is working together to be the greatest picture of Christ that we're supposed to be. The church is not all about relationships with people. It's about the relationship of Christ and His people. So God desires that he lead us. God desires that we trust in him and that we obey him and that we let those things lead us to the next point. My desire for you, my prayer for you, is that you will cry out to the Lord as your Savior, as your provider, and your God. And you'll be grateful for the mothers and the fathers and the godly counsel that he's provided for you. You'll be grateful for the circumstances even that he's using to lead you in that. And you'll be grateful for the word of God and his commands that he's given you in that. So I invite you to search your heart. If something has settled on your heart that the Lord would like you to pray over, I invite you to pray for that. If you would stand with me and I would like to pray for you.
God, thank you for this morning and the chance to worship you together and to study the Word of God together. I pray that you will encourage your people. You will help them to know that you're the one taking care of us and the burdens that we feel on our shoulders we can take to you and we can entrust to you. God, I pray that you will help us to be godly counsel to the generations coming under us. And I pray that you'll help us not to forget that you're the one leading us. Help us not to grumble and complain. Help us to obey you and to listen to you. And Lord, if there's someone who's lost, I pray they'll surrender their life to you. And they'll ask you to be their Savior, their provider, and their God. Thank you for this work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.